Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Happy Monday. Hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much for being with me here today as we kick off a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please follow me on social media on Instagram. I'm at Monica Crowley underscore and on Twitter and Truth Social. I'm at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show. Anything that's on your mind, let me know what we're talking about here, what you'd love for us to talk about. Uh, reaction to Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. That's Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. I see them all. I read them all, and we're going to get to yours at the end of the show, as always. Well, today I want to talk about Biden's catastrophic collapse because of the catastrophic damage he's inflicting on the country. Not a big mystery here, guys. Politics, like economics, the rules are pretty hard and fast. You can't really skirt them. You could try to spin it. But the reality is always pretty clear. So we're going to get into that. Also today, very special guest, someone who is standing up to Biden and his neo-communist insanity, Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota. She's up for re-election this year, and uh, we're going to talk to her about a whole range of issues, including her new memoir called Not My First Rodeo, which is a fantastic title for her. She is amazing, and she's going to join us. Plus, as I said, your email's all straight ahead. But first, the Monica Memo. As I have been saying for a while, 
The left's power brokers have determined that useful idiot Joe Biden has outlived his usefulness and they want him gone. None of this is by accident. In fact, the fact that he was installed in the presidency, also not an accident. They needed a puppet. He was a malleable puppet. So Clyburn came in during the primaries. He did what he was supposed to do, which is say, hey, Joe Biden's the choice. So it made it safe for black voters and other Democratic constituencies to vote for Biden, make him the nominee. And then, of course, COVID came along, again, all of a piece, so that the senile dementia patient could campaign from his basement. It was all set up so that they would have this malleable puppet in office to execute in a very rapid way, the neo-communist fundamental transformation of the nation. But now those power brokers have determined that he has outlived his useful idiotness and he needs to be gone. So they are leaking on him, which at the beginning of his presidency, you didn't see a lot of leaks because they had to keep it tight. Now they're leaking on him all over the place and they're planning stories about his accelerating senility, openly questioning his ability to do the job. Duh, we've been saying this since day one, but we are not the right people. The right people are now allowed to say it. Over the weekend, the New York Times published another uh, and it's starting to come more frequently now. We're going to get into this here in a second. But the New York Times published one more harder-hitting piece called, At 79, Biden is testing the boundaries of age and the presidency. Okay, so here I want to get into the story a little bit because it's really unbelievable if you have not seen this. They are raising the question about age, calling it, quote, an uncomfortable issue for the White House and the Democratic Party. Actually, it's not uncomfortable for them at all. They were clearly aware that the man was old. You know, let's just take a step back for a second. When I say old, here's what I mean. Hopefully, God willing, we will all get there. We'll all get to 80 and beyond in good health. But do you want that as your president is another thing. That begs this question, and nobody really talks about this, There are two categories of old. There's young old, and then there's old old. So there are people at Biden's age of 79 who are young old, who can run marathons and swim five miles and and are running their businesses and, and, and in great health and doing everything that they've always wanted to do. Then there are people like Biden at 79 and, and even more extreme cases of Biden um, at 79 years old who are old, old, who are decrepit, who cannot function. And he is quickly getting there if he's not there already. He seems to go in and out, right? So there are two different categories, young, old, and old, old. Biden is old, old. And now these pieces are starting to come out saying exactly that. So this New York Times piece, which ran on Saturday, declared that the 79-year-old Biden is, quote, testing the boundaries of age and the presidency, first highlighting how his upcoming trip to the Middle East was initially tacked onto his recent trip to Europe, which is usually what happens. Like when I was at Treasury and I was traveling with Secretary Mnuchin, 
we would do a couple of different stops. So the core of the trip might be the Middle East. You hit five countries in like four days or something. It's crazy schedule. You're on a completely different time zone. You're, you're jet lagged and you're hitting these incredibly important meetings and you're jumping from say Israel to Jordan to Saudi Arabia to the UAE to Qatar, right? And you're having all these high level meetings. So you have to be on and well rested. It's an incredibly taxing experience. I experienced that. I'm not 79, Okay, so everybody experiences this, him more so. And then we would go from like those five countries in the Middle East to, let's say, London for some meetings, and then let's say to Poland for some meetings, and then home. So these trips are incredibly grueling, and they're jam-packed in a very short period of time. You're jumping country to country right? So the New York Times makes the point that originally, remember he was in Europe, was it last week? And then they were going to add the Middle East to that. So have him go from Europe onto the Middle East, but no, they brought him home. Why? Because he needed to rest. One anonymous official told the New York Times it was crazy if, calling it crazy, if the president had done a 10-day trip overseas, Those aides telling the New York Times that there were, quote, political and diplomatic reasons behind separating the trip into the two. No, I'm sorry. No, that's not true. We did a couple of 10-day trips with Secretary Mnuchin. We went to the Middle East. Then we went on to India and then came back to the Middle East. These are very grueling trips. So all of his handlers know that he cannot hack it. The jet lag alone will kill you. Someone of any age. You could be 15 and like dead of jet lag going around the world like this. So 79 and also out of it, you know that the guy is just not able to do this. So the New York Times piece goes on. But the reality is that managing the schedule of the oldest president in American history presents distinct challenges. By the way, this piece is written by the New York Times White House correspondent, Peter Baker, who is always at the willing and at the ready to write stuff like this when the trigger is pulled by the left-wing power brokers. Peter Baker did not just freelance this article, okay? We're going to get into this when I'm done here reviewing this piece. It goes on. And as Mr. Biden insists he plans to run for a second term, his age has increasingly become an uncomfortable issue for him, his team, and his party. Baker recaps uh, from Biden's European trip how he needed guidance from another world leader to look at the cameras for a photo op. They do these class pictures And another world leader had to be like, yo, Joe, look at the camera and smile. And how British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, on his way out the door, answered a question on behalf of Biden who did not hear a reporter shouting a question about Ukraine. Baker writes, at times, Mr. Biden kept a packed schedule. On the day he flew to Madrid for a NATO summit, he met with multiple leaders and finished a dinner hosted by the King and Queen of Spain. On another day, though... He skipped evening festivities with other leaders, and his public schedule finished with a 3.30 p.m. event. But Aide said he was busy and stayed up late working each night out of view. Sure he did. Just as they said, they expect him to in the coming week as he hits the road again in Israel and Saudi Arabia. Baker wrote that Biden's age has become, quote, a sensitive topic in the West Wing. 
noting that he is already one year older than President Reagan when he finished his second term. The Times acknowledges that Biden's energy level is, quote, not what it was, and that some aides, quote, quietly watch out for him. Listen to this. You ready? This is a direct quote from the piece. He often shuffles when he walks. That's that old man dementia shuffle, right? It continues. And aides worry that he will trip on a wire. They're worried, guys, that he's going to wipe out and break a hip or worse. It goes on. He stumbles over words during public events, and they hold their breath to see if he makes it to the end without a gaffe. Remember early on, I think I tweeted this, that watching Biden speak is like watching an old person trying to like cross an icy sidewalk. And you're like, oh my God, are they going to make it to the end? The piece goes on. Although White House officials insist they make no special accommodations the way Reagan's team did, privately they try to guard Mr. Biden's weekends in Delaware as much as possible. Yeah, I got reamed a couple of weeks ago. I guess around uh, like midwinter when I tweeted that, you know, they sent him to Delaware to like pump him up with stuff and get him in a familiar surrounding, get him rested. And God knows who we're seeing and God knows what they're putting in his system to prop him up. He is generally, this is the New York Times again, he is generally a five or five and a half day a week president. So guys, we got a part-time president going on, yo. The presidency is the most grueling job in the world. It is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Remember the old ad, the 3 a.m. phone call? Remember, I think that was a Hillary Clinton ad. Who do you want answering the phone at 3 a.m. with a world crisis? Well, here you've got a five or five and a half day a week president going on. It continues, although there are times when he is called at any hour regardless of the day. Well, if he's getting calls at 3 a.m., guys... He's not copus mentis. It goes on. He stays out of public view at night. Notice, no state dinners. And only rarely do they have him do like primetime addresses, like the joint session to Congress, the State of the Union and stuff. You never see him out past about 8 or 9 o'clock at night, ever. He stays out of public view at night and has taken part in fewer than half as many news conferences or interviews as recent predecessors. It goes on, after citing a June poll showing 64% of voters say Biden is too old to be president, Baker writes that Biden's public appearances, quote, fuel that perception. Quote, his speeches can be flat and listless. Yeah, because he has no energy. He sometimes loses his train of thought, has trouble summoning names, or appears momentarily confused. More than once, he has promoted Vice President Kamala Harris, calling her President Harris. Mr. Biden, who overcame a childhood stutter, stumbles over words like kleptocracy and has said Iranian when he meant Ukrainian and several times called Senator Mark Warner John, confusing him with the late Republican senator of that name from Virginia. He then pointed to various moments the White House had to walk back Biden's comments, like when he vowed that the U.S. would militarily respond if China invaded Taiwan, and when he just declared Russian President Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power. Okay, we all misspeak now and again. It happens to everybody. But with him, it's not just misspeaking or stumbling. This is advancing dementia. Dementia is a progressive disease.
Everybody knows that. So, uh, you know what? Here's the other thing, too. Back in 2020, when all of us were raising these issues, talking about his faltering mental capacities meant that you were a Russian stooge. Remember that? Seriously. Here's ABC News from September of 2020. Quote, the Department of Homeland Security has found Russia is spreading disinformation regarding former Vice President Joe Biden's mental health, according to a DHS bulletin obtained by ABC. Quote, Russian covert and covert influence actors posted negative commentary and unsubstantiated allegations about the poor mental health of Biden. For example, Proxy websites have claimed that the candidate's gaffes are symptoms of dementia, that he is mentally unfit for the presidency, and that he is unlikely to serve his full term due to age. How about that, huh? The deep state stepped in to help Biden and say that it's the Russians beyond the accusations that Biden is suffering from dementia. There was a coordinated effort to protect Biden from justified criticism that he couldn't hack it. The Daily Beast ran a story. Fox News stars began pushing rumors about Joe Biden's health, and they went after Hannity and, and, and so on for raising issues about this. So it, this was all a coordinated attempt to try to bury the truth about Biden. Why? Because he was a malleable puppet that they needed to install. So they covered up and lied about his age and infirmity and his corruption, Hunter's laptop with evidence of even more corruption, all of it. They covered up all of it and lied about it to get him elected. And now they want him gone. They want him gone. So you don't get these kinds of stories unless there is a coordinated effort to... Uh, start the movement to remove him from power. The Democrat communists are tightly controlled. You do not get pieces like this out there without clearance from the top. And in this case, the people actually running the country, Barack and Michelle Obama via Susan Rice, and we're going to deal with Susan Rice in upcoming shows. Susan Rice, Biden's domestic policy advisor, who knows nothing about domestic policy. She is a foreign policy person, but she is running point on domestic policy because Barack and Michelle are running the country and the entire Great Reset here at home. So that's what's going on. And they see Biden falling apart, both physically and mentally and politically. He's now cratered at 30% job approval. So they want him gone. And the only question is how they maneuver him out and when. When we come back, we're going to talk to Christy Nome, the incredible governor of South Dakota. She is going to join us here in just a moment. Plus, coming up, your emails. So sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, 
lower blood pressure and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. We all have tasks we'd like to avoid, like mailing and shipping. It takes time lugging all those letters and packages to the post office. That's why you should try Stamps.com. For 25 years, Stamps.com has made mailing and shipping easy. You get all the services of the post office right on your computer, anytime. No traffic, no waiting, no hassle. Plus, you save money with discounts up to 84% on USPS and UPS. With Stamps.com, all you need is a computer and printer. Print stamps, print shipping labels, and if you sell products online, Stamps.com connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart, so you can spend less time on shipping and more time on your business. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage and a digital scale. Just go to stamps.com and enter code PROGRAM. Well, welcome back. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome my friend, the incredible governor of South Dakota, Christy Nome. Governor Nome is, of course, a superstar whose state is absolutely thriving thanks to her steady leadership based on those great Midwestern values of rugged individualism, and individual freedom, as you would expect from a great South Dakotan. She has just published her new memoir. It's called Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland, and it's available everywhere right now. Governor, welcome. It's so good to have you here. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me on, Monica. I'm thrilled to visit with you today. Well, it's my pleasure, uh, Governor, and congratulations on the new book. We're going to get to it in a moment because it's a really powerful story, not just about your life, but also about the life of America and what has made us great. So we are going to talk about that because I think it's extraordinary. First, though, Governor, You know, we just celebrated Independence Day, and it was another year that the Biden administration forbade you from doing fireworks at Mount Rushmore. And we we all remember that fantastic display in 2020 with President Trump and the First Lady. What do they tell you when you approach the administration and you say, we'd like to do this on Independence Day? What do they say to you? You know, it's really discouraging for us because there's a whole process set up in statute for how you conduct these types of celebrations. Uh, We work with the National Park Service. We apply for a permit and we meet all the requirements and follow the Administrative Procedures Act, which is a federal statute that says 
how these permits are granted. What's frustrating to us is that South Dakota has met all of the requirements to host this event, uh, but still the National Park Service has denied us the permit to be on location to celebrate America and our freedoms. So it's punitive. Uh, it, it feels very political. Um, we've, we've met their concerns, environmental water concerns, fire safety concerns, consultations with outside groups. Everyone has signed off, but yet they still continue to deny us this opportunity. It's a really big deal for our state, but also for the country. You know, in South Dakota, tourism is our second largest industry. It's our chance to showcase our state and the fact that we are the home of Mount Rushmore and, uh, and do that on a worldwide scale. The next morning on the 4th of July, after we always held this event on July 3rd, the rest of the world was showing fireworks over Mount Rushmore and talking about South Dakota. So for us, it was a source of pride for our country to help celebrate our independence, but also a chance to tell our state story. You know, Mount Rushmore is such an important national monument. And I, I use the word national here because it's true, but it's also a monument that's a testimony to our great history and it belongs to every American. So the idea that a democratic administration would prevent you from doing this and deny all Americans, not just great South Dakotans, but all Americans, the ability to see this kind of display is really petty and quite pathetic. It is. And I think that our country is desperate for some hope right now, for some optimism. We've been having such a debate over our country's history, teaching our kids civics and about our founders. And it's just a huge missed opportunity that they're actually preventing us from loving America. That's what I feel like is really challenging to us is that this is a great opportunity and a source to, to have pride in our country and to remember how special this this country is. It's the greatest experiment uh, in the world that we were given to be in this republic that our founders gave us. And we're taking it for granted. And they're not allowing us the chance to tell that story. You know, it's so petty and so anti-American, but this is who they are, Governor. Um, And the fact that everything in this country has become so politicized, I mean, politics has just infected everything, every corner of our existence, from Mount Rushmore to sports to our culture to movies, you name it. And I think Americans have had enough of this. I think they have rejected it. And this is one of the many reasons why you see Joe Biden and the Democrats' poll numbers just crash through the floor. Yeah, I agree. It it appears to be just a constant out of touch with the reality of the struggles that Americans are having today to put food on the table, to fill their cars with gasoline. And then every time they turn on the TV or hear from their president, it's about division. It's about, um, you know, fighting people. It's not about bringing us together like you promised. It's not at all about, you know, making America, um, you know, a, a place of opportunity. So it's the exact opposite of what he talked about during the campaign. And they're just out of touch and seem to not care about the everyday families out here. They get up every day working and trying to live the American dream. Yeah, they don't care. That's exactly right, because they have their eyes on a much bigger prize, which is the, in Obama's words, the fundamental transformation of the nation. So all of this is intentional. It's all deliberate. How are you, as a governor of South Dakota, how are you navigating the Biden administration's catastrophe from inflation and and fuel prices going through the roof to everything else that's befalling us, the wide open border and so on? You know, it's a struggle because we are a state that grows the world's food. Um, It's a long ways 
to drive anywhere in our state. You know, people drive 30 miles to work, uh, maybe 20 miles the opposite direction to get their groceries, you know, and we're our second largest industry is tourism. So it's been challenging. You know, luckily for South Dakota, we made some very different decisions than other states during the pandemic. So we have historic revenues. I'll remind you, Monica, we don't have any taxes in the state. No, no income taxes, corporate income taxes, no personal property taxes. All we have is a four and a half cent sales tax. And we have historic revenues here that have allowed us to pay off debt, cut taxes, cut regulations, build infrastructure, put high-speed internet access across the entire state, um, do a lot of incredible things that have resulted in South Dakota having the number one economy in the country. And incomes are going up faster in South Dakota than anywhere else in the country as well. So our people are doing better here because of the decisions that we've made. Uh, but it's it's also a challenge to protect them from the federal decisions because they still buy their gas on a worldwide market. They still have to deal with these food costs, even though they're the ones that are growing it. And they still have to deal with the inflation and the interest rates and everything else that President Biden is refusing to to address for them. So, you know, we're we're doing all we can. We're continuing to address it. And I'm challenging them in court over several of their different regulations and punitive actions. I went from being on offense every single day when President Trump was in the White House to now being on defense. Mm -hmm. I committed to my people that I would protect them from the federal government. And unfortunately, I spend a lot of my time doing that these days. How are you suing the Biden administration? I know you've got a couple of lawsuits underway. Well, we do. We're suing them over the fireworks. We're suing them over different um, mandates that they've handed down to different agencies on health care on how we um, can utilize different energy production in the state as well. Um, you know, the Keystone pipeline being shut down was extremely devastating for our state. We don't have oil here uh, that we produce in large numbers. We have a few rigs in the northern part of the state, but um, but we do did have the pipeline coming through that was going to be an important part of our economy and, and allow us to have a much safer method to move oil through the state. Uh, that was going to make it much more affordable. Him shutting that down was incredibly challenging for us as well. We lost thousands of jobs and a lot of property taxes. So, um, you know, when we have a decision come down to where this president is overstepping his federal authority, it's my job as governor to remind him of states' rights, what my job is, and that they need to back off. Yeah. And the fact that you're doing that, as well as generating a thriving economy, despite what Washington, D.C. is doing, um, this is why you and other very strong governors like Governor DeSantis in Florida, you're making them all look bad. And that's why they need to put the screws to you. And that's why you're getting all kinds of punitive actions directed at you and your state. Let me ask you, Governor Biden and the international great resetters, they want us to stop eating beef and chicken and they want us eating bugs instead. South Dakota is a big agricultural state. As you mentioned, it's a big cattle state. So how do y'all feel about eating bugs? <laughs> we, we tend to not choose bugs when we can have a T-bone steak. Um, you know, it's, it's hard because it's not based on any kind of nutritional value, science, or even they talk consistently about it being an impact on the environment, which is just wrong. So many of the policies they're embracing as green policies are actually much more devastating to the long-term CO2 effects and, and other you know, gases that they're emitting. And the 
types of um, waste that we'll have to deal with for decades to come if their policies were enacted. So it's a challenge. And I think people need to remember um, agriculture is the number one industry in the state of South Dakota. And um, we work hard to put food on the grocery store shelves. But I've always talked about food security um, as a national security issue. Uh, For 15 years, I've been telling people, listen, we got to wake up and and get uh, and realize that other foreign countries, our enemies are buying up our food supply chains. They are buying up our chemical companies. They're buying up our fertilizer companies. Uh, And now they're buying up land. Um, You know, the processing facilities are largely owned by foreign companies. The processing facility that was so difficult for me to deal with here in South Dakota during the pandemic is a Chinese owned company that made it very hard to take care of the people that worked there, to work with them, to make sure that the supply was going to be prioritized to the American people. All of that makes us much more reliant and dependent on countries that don't love America. And it is a national security issue. If we think that the pandemic was scary, wait until we've got China controlling our entire food supply. It's really unbelievable that we've allowed this to happen. You know, there is um, an organization out of the Treasury Department called CFIUS, which is the Committee on Foreign Mm -hmm. Investment in the U.S., and it's unbelievable that we've allowed this stuff to go forward. You mentioned the farmland, Governor. We hear a lot about Bill Gates buying up hundreds of thousands of acres. Now we're hearing China, as you just mentioned, not just buying up uh, food processing facilities, but also buying up farmland. Are you seeing that in your state? We are. Um, It's becoming much more consolidated. It used to be that America embraced a diversified food supply system. We recognize the value of having many, many farmers and ranchers out on the land um, and, and growing our own food and giving them the opportunity to cash flow. I tell people all the time, there's no bigger gambling profession than than farmers. They literally go to the bank borrow money to to buy their land. They borrow more money to buy their machinery or their cattle. Then they go back to the bank and borrow an operating loan that they purchase seed, fertilizer, and chemical with, and then they put it in the dirt. And they hope that months later, there'll be something there. If it does rain, if the sun shines, that they can pick up and sell and maybe pay their bills. You can farm for 20 years and make a good living, uh, but you can have one bad year and lose it all. And you have too many farmers hit hard times like they are right now with the increased energy costs, the increased seed costs, China controlling their fertilizer supply. You hit all of that at one time and drive them out of business, then that allows an opportunity for a Bill Gates and for China to come in and buy up a bunch of land cheap and to really put a power power system together in land mass that allows them to control the food supply rather than all these family farms and ranches that we've come to value for so many years. It's just unbelievable that we've gotten to this point and we are liver- literally mortgaging away or even just straight up giving away our future. Governor, I do want to talk to you about your memoir. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do, I've got to ask you, you're up for re-election this November. How is your race looking? You know, it's good, but you know, the race is going very well and I think the people of South Dakota are very happy The challenge is, Monica, is that we've got um, the DNC and the liberal Democrats from out of state are coming into South Dakota and constantly attacking. Mm -hmm. They are spending millions um, going after me and my administration. They've moved reporters to the state of South Dakota that wake up every single day to write articles to to kill me politically. Um, And that's the real challenge is that this little state that people usually focus on and mind our own business and do well and 
is now, uh, you know, become a national target for the Democrats and they are all in. I, I try to remind people all the time. I, I only won my last race for governor by three points against a guy who was a Bernie Sanders believer. Mm-hmm. So most people, most people will think that South Dakota is super conservative. It is, but it's more populist than conservative. We've elected a lot of Democrats to office, a lot to national office. We're the home of Tom Daschle and and U.S. senators. And I replaced a Democrat when I was in Congress, George McGovern's from South Dakota. So I'm going to I'm working hard to make sure people remember the the consequences of leadership. What would have happened here had a Bernie Sanders guy or had a person like my opponent been in charge would have been a very different story and our way of life would have been devastated. Yes, absolutely. You and Governor DeSantis refused to lock down during the pandemic. And that's why both of your states thrived during that period of time versus blue states like New York and California, which really fell off the cliff and remain so. Mm -hmm. So of course, they have you in their political crosshairs, Governor, because you are an existential threat to them. Therefore, they've got to destroy you just like with President Trump and and Governor DeSantis and so on. Everybody, please support Governor Nome however you can in her reelection. We're going to come back with her after a quick break. She's got a brand new memoir out. It's fantastic. It's called Not My First Rodeo. We're going to talk to uh, Governor Nome about that and more coming straight back. Okay, you guys, listen up because I want all of you to be as healthy as possible. To get myself healthier, I'm taking Field of Greens every day and you should too. Field of Greens is packed with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. This is what I need to stay healthy, and you do too. Field of Greens works fast, and it tastes absolutely delicious. You'll have more energy, you'll look and feel healthier, and it can even help you lose weight. But what I'm looking forward to most is my next physical when my doctor compares my old lab work to my new lab work and says, I crushed it. Yes. So join me and take Field of Greens too. And to help you get started, I got you 15% off your first order and another 10% off when you subscribe for recurring orders. So visit them, fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. Again, fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. Okay, we are back with Governor Christy Nome, the incredible governor of South Dakota, and her new memoir is called Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland. I think this is a spectacular autobiography, Governor, and I've got to ask you, why now? Why did you choose this moment to tell your story? You know, I talk about it a little bit in the acknowledgement of the book that, um, you know, I never once thought I would ever write a book. I started uh, to to tell a couple of stories to a friend of mine, Charlie Hurt. We were on a fishing trip together and he thought the stories from my childhood were hilarious and said, you've got to write these down and had different people tell me um, I needed to do that. Had some publishers reach out after COVID and say, would you be interested in telling your story? And decided to try the the project. You know, I it's not really a political book, although you'll find some political stories in it and that, that people haven't heard before or didn't know about, but mostly it is about the fact of understanding me. And, and, and most people were a little bit, you know, surprised to hear my name. I would guess a couple of years ago, they didn't know who I was. All of a sudden I was being attacked by liberals and 
trying to figure out who I was. And I think this book will help them understand why I made the decisions that I make, how important uh, the foundation of this country is to me, that I grew up in a family that wasn't political. My dad was a cowboy. We didn't talk about politics. We just lived them. And some of the best gifts that he gave us as kids was impossible things to do, hard things to do. He told us we don't complain about things, we fix them. And, uh, you know, just really taught us to be problem solvers. I think that was an incredible gift that helps me today think strategically and to not look at hard things as bad. I look at them as good. I look at crisis and challenge as an opportunity to do something historic, to overachieve, to to take care of people in a new way and have new ideas tried out. So, so that is a different perspective than I think what America needs right now. And mainly this book is about hope. You know, there's, there's something in this country right now that's dark and ugly. Mm-hmm. And people need to know that there is a place in this country that still wraps its arms around American values and believes that strong families are important and that people take care of each other. And it really is a, a testimony to South Dakota and the way of life that we live here. A- absolutely. And I think the the nation needs to hear a refresher about those strong Midwestern values that made America great. And that's why this memoir is so important for everybody to read. And you know what struck me, Governor, as I'm, I'm going through your memoir, is that you write a lot about your dad, who was a larger than life figure. He was a cowboy, he was a rancher, and then he died in a very tragic way, in a very untimely death. Can you tell us what happened and how that shaped you? Well, we had, um, you know, we farmed and ranched. We probably farmed about 10,000 acres when my dad was killed and and one of the larger operations in the state and had hundreds of head of cattle in a cow-calf operation, feedlots, and several other businesses. So at the time, I was 22 years old. I'd gotten married when I was 20, was still going to college. I was eight months pregnant with my daughter, um, was not working in my dad's business, but I'd always had the goal of, of going back and spending the rest of my life with him and working beside him. He was really my best friend. But uh, we had a grain bin, uh, several grain bins on our operation, but one that uh, it was fluctuating temperatures. It was in March, March 10th. And when that happens and it's full of grain bins are full of corn, sometimes if they have too much moisture in the corn, they get a crust on top of them. Um, they start to mold. And dad had gone up in that bin to start pulling corn out and break the crust up. And he fell down into a pocket um, in that grain bin and the corn collapsed on him and suffocated. The problem was, was that at the time, um, you know, this was years ago, um, you know, when I was just 22 and we didn't have 911. My brother was with him. He and the guys that worked for us started to tear the grain bin apart. And we relied on probably a hundred farmers who came when my mom called them to dig him out and find him until the ambulance could come. But, but it was just such a shock for the whole community. I remember we we just couldn't believe it because dad could do anything. He was kind of a superhero to everybody who knew him. He he never um, took a day off. He worked all the time. Even our vacations were hard. You know, they were usually elk hunting trips to the mountains for two weeks, uh, sleeping in tents. He just, everything he did was an adventure. So to have him pass away at the age of 49 was challenging. And I remember that even at his funeral, there was over 1,200 people there mm-hmm. And people had driven in from Canada that had hunted with him once, but he had changed their life just because of his optimism, his, you know, ability to be visionary. And um, I just remember thinking, 
there's no way that he could possibly be gone. And it was devastating for us. So that really is the point in our life where our family still continues to say, you know, that, that, well, that was before dad died or that was after dad died. It was literally the turning point for everything because we were thrust into a world where we just thought, we don't know how we're going to get through the next 24 hours, much less the rest of our lives without this man. And you did. And it's an incredible story of resilience, Governor, overcoming grief and pain to move forward, which is also part of the heartland values that we're talking about. We just have another minute or so with you, Governor. There's always chatter about you for president or vice president at some point. Would you be interested in either of those jobs? Oh, you know, I, I get, I'm running for reelection here in South Dakota this year and um, hoping the people will trust me to be their governor for another four years. You know, I, I think anybody who wakes up every day really desiring to be president of the United States maybe would not be um, the leader that we need today. We need someone that's almost a reluctant president that wants to serve the people and really fix what's going on in this country. So I'm not convinced that that I need to be that person. I just want to live a life of significance do my part to make sure that we really are protecting the foundation of this country. I've got kids and grand and a granddaughter um, that I'm, I want them to have every opportunity that I had growing up. And if we allow Joe Biden and these Democrats to continue to do what they're doing, they're not going to get that chance. So every Republican should be stepping up and showing up for every single job position meeting uh, you know, fight that is important to protecting our way of life. It matters more now than it ever has before. You could have never convinced me even just five to seven years ago that a country could change the way that ours has the last two or three years. What happened during the pandemic in so many of these states and at the national level is shocking to me how quickly they're trying to remake this country. So it's important that more, you know, now than ever, that we are all engaged in this battle for the hearts and minds of the American public. Yes. And you are a leader right there, right at the forefront. Governor, one last question, just a quick one before we let you go. We all watch Yellowstone, which we know is set in the state of Montana, but are you the inspiration for the tough female governor in Yellowstone? You know, I don't know. I, um, they've talked, I know the, the folks that, are engaged on that show and that, that work and put it on and they're incredible people. So, you know, we've had some conversations about a couple of their characters. It was funny. Monica is, is a lot of people think that too, but what I keep getting in the mail is t-shirts from people all over the country that say, don't make me go Beth Dutton. On you. So, <laughs> so I don't know necessarily if they, um, which one they think is patterned after me. I, I hope the, the governor seems a little <laughs> bit more reasonable, but man, I admire Beth. Her tenacity to win at all costs is pretty remarkable. Me too. Me too. Well, Governor Christine Ohm, you are a gift to the people of South Dakota, and you're also a great gift to this country. We thank you so much for your leadership, your toughness, your courage, your fearlessness, and we look forward to talking to you in the future and your reelection come November. The book is called Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the heartland. Go get it right now. Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota, thank you so much. Okay, guys, new week, new dip into the email bag. Here we go. Tom writes, hi, Monica, longtime fan, love the podcast. I agree with you 1000% that we have to get rid of rhinos from the party. 
Please keep us informed. Thank you, and God bless you and America. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate the nice words and so happy to have you on board on the podcast. As to the rhinos, there are still way too many of them in the GOP. This is a populist party now. America first. The new right. If you're not going to get with saving America from the clutches of the evil neo-communists, then get out of the way or we will remove you. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but soon. This is what primaries are all about. We are done with useful idiots. And if you are a useful idiot, like a Liz Cheney or an Adam Kinzinger, have a nice day. You're done. Chris also has thoughts about rhinos. Monica, Trump will identify these rhinos and we will vote them out. All of these representatives will be replaced by new incorruptible patriots. You give me $40 trillion and I give you $38 trillion back. This has been going on for decades. Thank God for the Constitution and Trump. We will persevere. Yes, we will, Chris. This is why we are happy warriors. And this is exactly what Trump has been doing. He has been identifying America first patriots to endorse. Not all of them winners, but most of them, the vast majority. Uh, he's got an extraordinary record in terms of his endorsements. And I don't know if you saw him over the weekend in Alaska. He was extraordinary. The man is aging backwards, really at the top of his game. Just unbelievable. So if anybody has any doubts that he's running again, I mean, just watch these rallies. The man is running again. Uh, Also speaking of rhinos, William writes, Monica, I almost threw up when Mitch McConnell said, I think we can all agree the most important thing is Ukraine. Unbelievable. Inflation is clearly number one. And if I had a baby, baby formula would be number one. Add that to the Biden spokesperson who laughed and said she'd get back to her reporter asking about baby formula and what the president thinks. Janet Yellen is outrageous, saying abortion affects the labor market. These people are sick. Absolutely, William, they are sick. But they're also neo-communists who are working around the clock to destroy the country. And for the rhinos to join them in that destruction is absolutely unforgivable. Remember, in November. Thank you for your great emails as always. Keep them coming. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. We have fantastic shows lined up for the rest of the week, including, speaking of rhino Liz Cheney, we're going to have Harriet Higman on. She's running against Liz Cheney. She's the Trump-endorsed candidate in that primary. She will be here. Also, the fabulous Carrie Lake, who is running for governor of Arizona. Both of these women, the Trump endorsed candidates in their races, both amazing women and candidates. They are going to be the ones destroying these rhinos, William. So join me the rest of the week. And always, I will see you right back here on Wednesday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.